Indianapolis and Will Levis. It simply is not a deep enough team, simply is not a good enough roster to justify, really, I would say risking losing one of these quarterbacks. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast for Friday? No, wait, what day is this for? Friday? Yeah, I've lost all track of time, JT. It's Friday, July the 27th. There we go. Dates, times, numbers. Uh, I'm your host, Easton Freeze. You can follow me on Twitter at Easton Freeze, and I'm joined as always by producer JT, who you can follow on Twitter at JT underscore Runky. JT, besides trying your best to keep my head firmly attached to my shoulders, which is not going well so far to start the show, how has your day been? It's good, and I'm going to continue to do that because actually tomorrow is Friday the 28th. We're recording this on the 27th on Did Thursday. I say 27th? You did, but you got you got close that time. But I got half you know, right and half wrong. Both you ways. know, no, no one can blame you. You know, we <laughs> we we had literally nothing to to talk about like last week, and then all of a sudden here's training camp, and now six weeks, and now yeah. you are in in the thick of it. So I do not blame you for for that right. whatsoever. Well, yeah, the last month and a half, I've had so few thoughts going through my head. I can at least get the beginning of the show right. Now I have all these flooding thoughts in my head from our first practice and our first media availability with Titans players and coaches that I can't keep simple things straight like the date and the time and what my middle name is. And so uh, we do have a lot of those uh, thoughts that have taken over my brain to discuss today. Uh, a, a number of things that I want to share from the Titans first practice of their training camp for 2023 a number of titans news topics for us to get into we're going to talk about the details on deandre hopkins contract and what it means for the team some really just pathetic drama not pathetic's the wrong word unnecessary that's the word i'm looking for unnecessary drama on twitter up in uh, colts land up in indianapolis we'll talk about that and why having an owner who is a loudmouth and uh meddling often is always a bad thing, even though it's kind of fun at times. Um, we're going to talk about how Sean Payton absolutely murdered a former head coach uh, in the NFL on the record to a reporter for The Athletic, which is a very fun story. And then training camp injury hell already upon us, unfortunately. We're going to talk through some of the headlines. Those That's what we got coming up in Titans News. As for uh, the warm-up today, I have an interesting topic uh, that is a very popular one right now, certainly not new to this topic, but I wanted to share some thoughts that I came not didn't come up with, but kind of came to my own conclusion on um, for what I think will ultimately be the solution in the short term to the running back value issue in the NFL right now. So a stacked show for you today, um, headlined, of course, by all of my thoughts from the sights and sounds of training camp practice numero uno that we were in attendance for on Wednesday. So without further ado, JT, let's dive right in. Here at the top of the Hot Read podcast, I have got the warm-up for today, and it is this. I think that NIL will prove to be the solution, at least in the short term, to the NFL running back value and pay dilemma that we are currently undergoing and discussing, and frankly, running backs in the league are really pissed off about. Some background here and some, again, these are not original thoughts of mine. I didn't come up with these ideas, but I th it's what I think on the topic and kind of can get us a baseline here for those that may not be as um, up on game with the whole running back situation. Maybe some folks are wondering why guys like Saquon Barkley 
and Josh Jacobs and others amongst the top echelon of running backs in the NFL are so upset right now and frankly can't get much money as compared to even tight ends like Cole Komet. I mean, Saquon Barkley desperately fiending for Cole Komet money is where we're at in the running back market, which is not great. It's pretty much just punters and kickers who regularly get more or less money rather than the running back position. And then from there, they are in the eyes of running backs severely underpaid. And I think that there are two things, uh, two forces at work here, JT, pretty obviously that create this perfect storm for the devaluing of the position, right? It is the combination of the fact that the, the league has changed in terms of its dynamic as a passing league. It continues to be more and more pass heavy. And that is what's valued by the majority of the league at this point. And so unlike even you and I growing up watching some of the best backs in history, um, really be the, the driving force of a number of the teams that they played for really be the number one playmaker on the field at times really be the, the engine that makes the offense run. That's really now the quarterback's arm and the receivers that do that. And so because of that combined with the fact that people think that I think I hear a lot of people say that alone, it's, it's not that alone that is, is making this such an issue right now. It is, it is that fact that the league is a passing league now and is continuing to become more and more a passing league combined with basic supply and demand, basic economics. The fact that there are simply for many in the league, too many good running backs available at any given time to justify paying the hefty fine, the, the hefty fee rather for the few great running backs in the league. There's a supply and demand issue there that when paired with the fact that it is an increasingly pass heavy league. This position's value is not just on the decline, but plummeting in free fall. And, and that is what the concern is right now. There's a certain element of it, it's tough. And I don't want to sound insensitive, right? Because like from a personal level, from a human level, you can understand the plight of some of these guys, Saquon Barkley and Derek Henry and Christian McCaffrey and, and Nick Chubb. And again, this is this upper tier of running backs feeling like, they're getting absolutely gypped. And in a sense, they are because they do bring a lot of value. I mean, a guy like Derrick Henry in particular, and he's not one of the ones I think that's been screwed over more um, like, like Christian McCaffrey and Josh Jacobs have been. Henry, by the nature of his position in Tennessee and just how much they've been reliant on him as a player, he's gotten a, a, a nice payday for the majority of his career by running back standards, but you could certainly argue that he's been severely underpaid for the impact that he has had on this team. And at times over the past four years, really being the entire offense, carrying the team on his back, like the old school back that he's reminds everybody of that, that the people are so fond of him for it's, it's not stinginess from the teams, JT, right? Like I think people misunderstand. Uh, some people misunderstand that teams aren't not choosing to, to spend money on these guys to save a buck there. There's a, unlike in other major uh, sports leagues in America in the NFL, there's both a salary cap in terms of how much money you can spend. There's also a salary minimum, a cap minimum at a point at which you must spend this much money. You can't just not pay anybody and, and super duper tank like you can in other sports. You've got to pay a minimum amount of, amount of money in that gap between minimum and maximum 
is relatively small. Like pretty much everybody in the NFL is maxing out their money. So it's not that the money not going in the running backs pockets is going in the owner's pockets. It's that it's going to a different position. It's the T Higgins of the world that are, are capitalizing really on the decline of pay for running backs. That money is going towards wide receiver twos and threes uh, as well as other premium positions. But it's that changing dynamic on the offense that is changing the distribution of money. Running back is also another element of this that makes it so difficult. It's really one of the only positions in the league where players often get drafted and are immediately very good. There is no ramp up. They they do. I would say uh, I don't have the numbers to back this up, but I feel like anecdotally, everybody should be able to agree. Running backs probably on average do as much, if not more of their total career production in their first four or five year rookie contract than they do beyond that, right? Like the average running back is going to be as productive as, as, as ever in their career in that rookie contract. And many of them in year one, because they've, you know, they ran for 10,000 yards at Arkansas in college. They did three years of that. And like, they, they are just by nature of the position and human physiology and the way that you know, young men are in their prime at 22, 23, 24, 25, especially at a position like running back where you have to be durable. You take a beating unlike really any other position. That's just the nature of it, right? But to get wrapped all the way back around to my main point here, there are plenty of different, in the past two weeks since this has really been a topic, you, you've read and heard, I'm sure, a lot of different thoughts from folks about how you can fix this, how you can remedy this problem, how running backs might can leverage um, certain things about the way that the that they operate or the league operates in their favor and maybe the way they can change their approach to getting paid. You know, you, you have seen many point to the rookie pay scale just in terms of there being a set amount of money that players that are drafted get paid like it is a fixed income on your rookie contracts and that's controlled cost for teams, which is a CBA agreement between the players association and the ownership. So really the players have nowhere to point to in anger besides the CBA, which their players union agreed to. And it's something that they can't renegotiate or really touch or have any say in changing for another handful of years. Like that's something that can't be done in the near term. Other people have also pointed to, um, you know, change, changing the the way that the running back salaries affect the cap. Maybe you don't make running back salaries hit the cap in full. Maybe they don't hit the cap at all. That's kind of a pie in the sky idea, in my opinion. Like that's never going. That's that brings in an element of owners just wanting to be charitable to, towards running backs and also favoring one position over all the other positions. Like the the NFLPA is in fact representing every position, all players of all different ilks and kinds and roles on the, on the field, not just the running backs. What I think NIL is going to do JT, and this feels pretty obvious. If you just think about it, it's going to fix one of the two elements that are creating this perfect storm. These two forces at work that are rapidly devaluing the running back position. There's no easy fix or maybe no fix at all to the idea that, yeah, people are realizing with advanced metrics and the modern athlete, and the way that the league is moving, it's just more efficient to pass. Like this is, that's not, you can't change the nature of the game. That's just fundamentally how it works. What you can change is that second element about there being too many good running backs at any given time to justify paying a hefty fee for the great ones. 
What do you think you're going to start seeing now that the running back position is seemingly under fire in terms of pay in the NFL with college athletes now able to get really significant and competitive sums of money in college. And you could argue that collegiate systems on average, maybe value the running back more because, you know, a, a pass heavy scheme is more difficult by nature. Like there's a reason why running backs in college can really be that dominant old school bell cow back where in the NFL, they may play a different role because the quarterbacks are just much more trustworthy in the NFL than at the college level. But in college, you know, if, if Joe blow running back third year player looking to be eligible to go into the NFL draft next year, and he's the, he's amongst the riffraff, right? Maybe he's the eighth best running back on the big board. He's going to be a third or a fourth round pick. He's going to be looking to make $500,000 a year on that cost controlled rookie contract. Well, with NIL and the, the rapid the explosion of money in that space, he's going to look at, you know, Michigan where he plays, for example, Joe blow at Michigan decides I can go be a third or a fourth round pick and make half a million dollars a year on my rookie contract. And then that may be it. I may, I mean, odds are I may do four years at that uh, price. And then like, I'm unemployed. Who knows? Or I can go back to Michigan and get $2.5 million of NIL money and play another year, maybe two, if I redshirted. Like, I, I can I can go and do that. That's going to be a, a, a scenario that I think a lot of players find themselves in. And I think that as long as enough players choose to go back to take that money, it's going to fix there not being so many good players at that position in the NFL. And you, you bring that supply number down the demand number will increase and suddenly you don't have the capability for half the league to have three to four really good running backs on their team in a stable. You're going to have a, a scarcity there. That's going to increase the price. And I think fix the entire solution or bring about a, a solution for the entire problem rather. And so that's why I think that NIL will prove in the short term to be the solution for the running back value issue in the NFL. All right. That that's a thought that I wanted to share that I found interesting. Um, by the way, if you're joining us live, kind of buried the lead here, appreciate you joining us live on Thursday. This is of course the, the podcast for Friday morning, but if you're here live with us on Thursday, which we'll be doing a lot this, uh, this training camp season. So make sure if you want to make any, uh, comments have any questions you want um just some input you want to give to the live broadcast to the podcast make sure to join us on thursdays before the friday show in the afternoon right right here at drive time around 4 4 30 5 o'clock p.m central standard time go over to broadway sports media's youtube page where you should be subscribed and you'll find this live stream where you'll be able to make such comments in the comment section and uh, communicate with us and do all those good things. JT, let's move on here and uh, get to, and we've got a couple of folks commenting in the, in the section already. Michael Natera asking if there was practice today. No, there was not, um, ex excuse me, not for media. Media was not invited today. Um, today, I believe, actually, I know they were having a practice. I don't know whether or not if it was a walkthrough or a full speed practice. I believe it was full speed, not positive. Either way, we were not invited today. Uh, media will be back at practice on Friday and Saturday. Those are the only two dates actually of this training camp period that I won't be in attendance for because I've got a prior uh, trip obligation that I'll be I'll be out of town this weekend. So um, I'll be doing coverage of that from afar via my fellow media members. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that on Monday, maybe have a guest in that was able to make it and, and give some firsthand uh, information on that for our Monday show. But then I'll be back for the rest of training camp and won't be missing any dates. 
Um, Dorito Lover 101 asking about uh, the Bengals Joe Burrow MVP uh, odds. Now we're going to talk about that in a little bit. It, it's scary season right now for injuries, JT. Uh, we, we will discuss that more on, in the Titans news portion of today's show. I uh, appreciate you guys commenting and listening with us. Let's talk training camp. I've now done 20 minutes of the show and not mentioned anything from practice number one. And I think that's what the people want. So JT, if you wouldn't be uh, opposed to it, would you, would you be so kind as to kind of walking us through training camp notes here and kind of teeing me up to give some thoughts on what I saw at practice yesterday? Yeah, and we have to start off, and I feel like we're going to start off a lot of our training camp notes this this preseason with the with the quarterback pecking order who yes. who's who stood out today who who is who is going ahead in that in that race between Malik Willis and Will Levis what were your thoughts on the first day of, of camp and how they looked and I know that um the the dreaded net drill came back so if you could give us your thoughts on that because of course that's the most important uh piece of information uh from training camp right, so right. yeah well, yeah, the, the only thing I have to say on the nut drill, which I post at this point, uh, like satirically, like it's it's a, it's a joke. I post it because I know people like it'll get engagement and it's it's easy engagement farming from you all because you all enjoy the nut drill. But in terms of my opinion of it, like, guys, it's not it, relaxed. There were people in the comments of the nut drill video I posted yesterday taking the video and slowing it down on their own on their device reposting slow-mo zoomed in videos of footwork and trying to micro analyze. They do this net drill game. First of all, it's a game. They're competing against each other. Like it's a little carnival game for them. It's just a little sideshow during practice. They do it at the beginning of practice when the guys are still getting warmed up. They're not really going at full speed. They're, they're not, their arms are pretty cold at that point. Like it's not a big deal. Okay. So never, ever, ever read too much into the net game. It really doesn't mean much at all. Um, that being said, I, I wanted to talk about the quarterback pecking order, not because there is some grand revelation on day one without pads on. Certainly not. It's going to be a long uh, preseason, and there's going to be a lot to talk about with these guys over the next five weeks. What I do want to mention to kind of preface the way that I want us to talk about this and how I anticipate us talking about this battle on this show for the next five weeks is this. Our boy, friend of the show, Sean McAvoy, personal quarterback coach to Malik Willis, amongst others, um, with quarterback takeover, working with Quincy Avery and all those guys. One of the experts in the field, one of the guys the pros go to for quarterback mechanics, advice, and training. He is a friend of the show and a friend of mine, and I got to meet. Actually, I've been friends with him for over a year now. Met him in person for the first time yesterday at camp. He happened to be there with his two lovely kids and uh, got to meet them and talk to him for a good portion of the day. And we were discussing, of course, Malik Willis, who he's working with in person all throughout the spring and the summer, asking him questions about what Malik's mindset is, what the relationship is with him and his receivers, with him and his fellow quarterbacks. And I got some interesting answers, JT. First of all, something that I think people might find fascinating. Malik Willis and, uh, and Will Levis are Pretty good buddies, apparently. They uh, they they've been practicing together the past couple weeks at Vanderbilt with uh, pretty much all the Titans receiving core, and the two of them are like getting lunch together. Like Sean was telling me that he texted Malik the other day, like, "Hey, what are you doing after practice?" And he's like, "I'm going to get lunch with Will." So not a cutthroat dynamic between the, those two. I think that they're actually kind of friends, and so that is an interesting thing. I think that people will find surprising, but. 
here's part of the reason why I think that may be. And, and more largely, uh, the point here being this is going to be this quarterback situation is going to be talked about one way for the next month by the majority of the Nashville media. And it's going to be wrong. It's going to be incorrect. It's going to be foolish, but it's going to happen. And so here's what you need to know in order to combat that and to know who to and not to listen to, in my in my opinion. This for those two guys taking Ryan Tannehill out of this because we long have established he's the starter for this season. He's the guy that is going to be under center week one. And as long as things don't go horrifically wrong for the entirety of the season, he's under contract and getting paid a ton to, to be the quarterback for this team. And also, most importantly, significantly better than these two right now as a quarterback. So he's going to be the guy. But for Malik Willis and Will Levis, this is a marathon for the two of them, not a sprint. Their competition, in my eyes, in Sean McAvoy's eyes, and, and I think I can make the fair assumption in the eyes of these two these two quarterbacks, is that they are competing for the starting role in 2024. Their competition, their race between each other for the next five weeks or so will be talked a lot about, you know, who becomes the who becomes the backup, who wins the second reps, who, you know, who who's the guy that we maybe who's the guy that doesn't make the team. First of all, anyone at this point who hasn't come around to the idea that this team is keeping all three of these guys is behind. This team is keeping all three of these guys. And I talked to Sean about this. He gets the impression uh, he, he, not to put words in his mouth because he didn't say this explicitly, but this is kind of the vibe that I got. And, and he kind of agreed with me when I said it. I think this team probably made their mind up on this a couple weeks ago, if not months ago, that like, hey, they, they it wouldn't shock me either if the, the brass has told these two players like, hey, Y'all need to compete your butts off and try to beat each other out. But just know you're not fighting for your job on this team. You're both going to be on this team at the end of August, barring something horrendous happening in unforeseen circumstances. And JT, people ask me why, you know, if it's just that the two of them are too good to let go in a sense. Yes. But I think ultimately it has nothing to do with these two players. I think ultimately the reason why the two of them will be on the 53 man roster has practically nothing to do with them and, and how their August goes and has pretty much everything to do with the fact that if you sit down and try to put together a 53 man roster projection right now, you get to player 44, 45 at most. And then you get to the, you try to find those last eight players to make this team. And there simply is no justification for keeping the last eight guys in terms of value and in terms of talent on a, a 53 man roster projection at this point, there is no justification for taking any of those eight guys over keeping those three quarterbacks, keeping both Malik Willis and Will Levis. It simply is not a deep enough team simply is not a good enough roster to justify really, I would say risking losing one of these quarterbacks, but ultimately losing one of these quarterbacks, because obviously Will Levis, the 33rd overall pick, you put him on the tra on 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 um, the practice squad, which they wouldn't because of the, the draft capital and, and their plans for him in the future. But if you were to, he would be gone instantaneously. And I still think with Malik Willis, you put him on the practice squad. And by that same time, the next business day, he is also being scooped up by another team unless you are using your practice squad protection uh, uh, labels on him, which you can't do indefinitely. So I just don't think that's going to happen. I think they're both going to be on the team. What ultimately is going to make the most drama out of this and what may force this into being a much more of a competition early on 
is the fact that somebody has to be the backup, right? Like they can't, you can't say they're both the backup forever because then Ryan Tannehill in week four, God forbid, goes down with a twisted ankle and suddenly somebody has to come in and play quarterback. You have to make your choice. I was talking to Sean about this and I felt like on paper, the the easy answer here is if you're looking for one of these two guys to most seamlessly and easily step into the existing game plan for a Ryan Tannehill led offense. It's Will Levis, right? Just because of how he is kind of a Ryan Tannehill prototype, typical style quarterback, the way that he plays is very similar to the way that they game plan for Ryan Tannehill. So you'd imagine he would fit into that most easily. And that may ultimately be the reason why he gets to be that guy. If not just for the fact that he's better by, by the end of camp than Malik Willis, but that's when the drama may end up coming is when the team's hand is forced. And I think that as long as Tannehill is healthy, they will kind of toe that line of like, I don't know, man, who's, they're kind of two a two B. Like we don't really want to name one over the other. Like they're, they're just, we got two backups that we have trust in both of them could be wrong, but I kind of see that coming. And then they'll, they'll have to reveal the, their cards. They'll have to reveal their hand if, and when they need somebody to fill in for Ryan Tannehill. So that's all to be seen. But my ultimate point here is as much as going to be made in the next five weeks in the media and by fans about who's the backup, who's going to win this battle, whoever wins the battle by the end of camp. I think ultimately that win means nothing in the grand scheme of things. And these two are on a marathon race against each other, not a sprint. Their competition is not for the next five weeks. It's for the next 12 months. Moving on here to probably the most important player at Titans training camp on Wednesday outside of the quarterbacks, DeAndre Hopkins. He was out there practicing on Wednesday, even though uh, Mike Vrabel earlier in the week told the media that he might not be there for a couple days with a prior engagement that may be this weekend, but, or it may be today. We don't know, but for at least right now, we know that we saw DeAndre Hopkins there on Wednesday, working out with the wide receivers along with Traylon Burks, Kyle Phillips, and the rest of them. Easton, how did he look out there? He looked good. I really, I wanted to to mention him simply because it was day one with him out there and we aren't going to have him for the next couple practices. I don't think because of his prior family engagement, um, by the way, any of you listening with us live, just a heads up, go over to Broadway sports media's YouTube page. If you want to ask any questions about camp, I will be happy to answer any and all questions that you might have or comments, thoughts, observations of your own from what you saw on social media with clips and whatnot. Um, the one thing I want to say on Hopkins is this, it is astonishing how much more competent this wide receiver room looks with just him out there in the group. And I, and I don't mean just like looking at it on paper and like thinking about who slots in where and what the roles are going to be. Now that you add Hopkins, yes, all of that we've, we've covered and that helps. He helps that a, a ton as well, but just looking at them as a group out there, you know, it's, Hey, there's the wide receiver drills they're doing over here. Look at this group. Just eye test. You don't know, you know, you're an alien. You, you, you come from a, a different planet. You've never seen these guys, you know what football is. So you're just, you're just kind of like, eyeballing it. I don't tell you names or or who is who or what their experience is. Like, what do you think about this group? They just look dramatically better as a group with the addition of DeAndre Hopkins. And uh, he's got that elite player aura to him. I don't really know how to describe it. And anybody who's been around NFL players at games or at practices knows what I'm talking about. But it's the same thing you get with Derrick Henry. It's the same thing you, you, you we've gotten at times with Jeffrey Simmons. Just the way that they carry themselves, the 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 vibes they give off the way that they the way that they move and practice the way that they look when they're giving full effort like you're just it, it's it is you know your grandmother who who doesn't even 
uh, couldn't tell the couldn't tell a football from a basketball if you if you handed them to her. You could you could show her these guys, and she'd be like, "I don't know who that guy is, but he looks really really good compared to the rest of these dudes. Like he clearly that dude's different than the rest. One of these things is not like the other, and that is DeAndre Hopkins and Traylon Burks. I would argue the two of them already getting that one A one B treatment uh, during special teams." portions of practice when players are doing various things the two of them are off on their own working with quarterbacks coach or with ryan Tannehill, getting some like one-on-one specialty star treatment as they should be getting moving on here to another important battle in camp is the right tackle competition of course we heard <laughs> earlier this week mike variable give out a couple of names already seeing jamarco jones over there as well as andrew rupchich and a couple of the uh young dra- uh, rookies like um, Jalen Duncan and OJ John Ojukwu, who I, mm-hmm. I really like that that new nickname for him. Easton, yes. what did you see so far in camp, and uh, any insight on the right tackle competition? Yeah, the, the first clip that I have to share today is from a post practice discussion with Jamarco Jones. It, it's kind of again, it was day one. Their plan maybe we're going to give these two guys split reps. The first practice, we'll give the next two guys split reps the next practice. So I don't want to jump to any conclusions. We did on day one really only see two guys splitting the first team reps there in Jamarco Jones, the veteran. And I think in the eyes of most, the front runner to be that stopgap starter to start the season. And then the UDFA, John Ojoku, um, getting getting a lot of. Um, a lot of play for a guy that is a UDFA out of Boise State, a guy that we were fans of. You know, our buddy Stony Keeley, fan of the sh- fan and friend of the show, um, is is was was and is huge on, and is very happy to to hear all these reports about his guy because he's done a lot of um, work on him and scouting, and has kind of really thrown his weight behind John Njoku. And so far, aging like fine wine, Stony. So well done on that front he's getting a, a real chance. And now again, maybe the plan was for those two to split the reps day one for day two, maybe today when we, when we aren't there, you're, you're going to see Andrew Rupchich and Jalen Duncan split. And then it's gonna, those four guys are going to get their fair share on every other day. Maybe that's the case. Not sure. But if they want it's representative of their leaders in the clubhouse for who's going to get that job, it's coming down to Jamarco Jones and Johnny Joku. Let's play that clip, JT. This was Jamarco Jones asking, answering a number of questions about where he's at and his health. Man, it's been, it's been a long year trying to get back out here. Just glad to be back out here with the guys. Feeling healthy? Yes, sir. What's, uh, what's it like to know you got a, a shot to, to take the starting spot? Yeah, I'm just trying to go out there, compete, and help the team however I can. Just glad to be back on the field. What do you consider your strengths and weaknesses coming in? Uh, I mean, you know, everybody got things to work on. Uh, uh, I spent a lot of time working on different things this offseason. I'm feeling pretty good heading into the season. You better pass protect or run blocking? Uh, I think I could uh, affect the game in many different ways. So I'm just trying to enhance on all my skills. What was last year? And so that's really all I have to give on that front. Certainly we'll keep an eye on the, uh, the, the competition at the right tackle position as camp goes on. And uh, we've got a... a a number of clips just of uh, the drills yesterday. If you're watching with us on YouTube playing right now in the background. So getting a visual on what we saw at practice yesterday. That's why one of the number of reasons why you should be tuning in with us on YouTube and not just via podcast. All right, JT, let's move on. Yeah. And then the last thing I, we really have on the actual practice portion of training camp yesterday, any other observations out there? Uh, Yeah. Just some other guys kind of like Christian Fulton or maybe like, um, 
kind of Kevin Byard or hey, was Harold Landry out there or anything like that? Anything right. else you kind can of a, give to us? Yeah, potpourri of, of little observations. Harold Landry was back, no knee brace to start, which is promising. He looked back to his old self, you know, again, not going 100% all day and not in pads. So we're going to going to pump the brakes on declaring him back back until we see a good bit more but he was out there christian fulton was playing with his hair on fire in seven on sevens and 11 11 team drill stuff playing like a man pissed off for greatness as you'd expect him to be in a contract year he kind of seemed to be taking it upon himself to uh to take on the challenge of guarding deandre hopkins on day one and uh, proving that he is the cornerback one to match up with the Titans' new wide receiver one. So he was doing a lot of that and playing just his body language and the way that he was carrying himself like he was upset, like he's mad. Not not in a negative way, but just he's angry and he's taking it out on the field and it's, it's leading to an, a level of intensity and urgency in his play that is pretty promising to see. As long as he can stay healthy, I think that's the kind of thing you're going to want to see from him in a contract year. Um, the other big thing that I that I noticed yesterday, no, not not noticed yesterday, but was thinking about yesterday, is I'm not sure who's going to win this kicker competition because both of these kickers simply refuse to miss kicks. Like it, it's going to take somebody losing it because so far they're practically perfect through OTAs into the first day of practice. Both Caleb Shudak, the second year player uh, for the Titans, and uh, the the newest. Uh, one of the newest additions, UDFA Trey Wolf out of Texas Tech, who we're um, kind of throwing our our weight behind on this show. That's at least my pick for who's going to win that position. But certainly a heated battle between the two of them. Not a ton of length yesterday. Kind of a, I think, a August warm up for the both of them. A lot of kicks from inside 30 and 45 yards. Um, so right kind of in that what, what um, Craig Ackerman has deemed his money range. A lot of kicks from there leaving us like, Hey, how about we determine this by backing these bad boys up? Like, let's, let's go for the long balls. Cause they won't miss from this range, which is a good problem to have. I suppose Titans with, you know, two great options is certain is much better than no great options. And so if they have a tough decision to make, that is ultimately a good thing. But so far, nobody's blinking in that competition. Yeah, let's move on to, of course, the couple press conferences that we saw on Wednesday, starting with Kevin Byard. He had a couple things to talk about on Wednesday. What did you hear from him? Yeah, we talked to Kevin Byard for the first time after taking really his, no other way to describe it, pay cut um, on the heels of the DeAndre Hopkins news. And that was the first thing that we asked him about. You know, what was the decision? What changed or rather to, to lead to this decision after a summer of talking about whether he would or not change his contract um, for really giving, doing the team a solid, doing the team a favor. And they, they announced they're going to sign DeAndre Hopkins. And then in short order, suddenly he is willing to do what he's really vocally been unwilling to do all summer long, take a pay cut, change his, his, uh, his uh, contract structure in a way that ultimately if he plays for the Titans this year and next, he will come away with the same amount of money. So unlike a lot of restructures you see where teams will front load via designating money to be a signing bonus um, to get, to get a guy's cap number to come down, they sort of did the opposite and backloaded this contract. And so a lot of his money is going to come uh, in 2024 if, and when he is still on the Titans a risky proposition because all that does is give the Titans more reason to not bring him back next year, regardless of how well he plays um, because of that, that money element. But I guess that's kind of a, we're going to push this down the road and we'll, we will cross that bridge 
when we get there. So we asked him what, what changed and ultimately he, he didn't have a definitive answer, but then I asked him, you know, the addition of Deandre Hopkins, that's something that he is always talking about wanting to do what he can for this team to allow them to be the best they can. And that involves being flexible so that they can bring in the best talent to surround him and his teammates with Deandre Hopkins certainly fits that bill one would imagine. And so I asked him, was the addition of Hopkins a big part of the reason why, you know, that message that is being sent by the Titans brass, we're bringing in DeAndre Hopkins. We're not messing around. We're, we're, we're competing this year. What was that message from leadership? One of, if not the deciding factor in your decision to, to take a pay cut. And here's what he said in clip five. At the end of the day, it's all about winning ball games. And you kind of understand it as you get older as a player, uh, the business side of football and be able to build a championship roster. And that's what it's about here. It's about winning ball games. It's not about, you know, at times it's, it's time to be selfish, but at the end of the day, it's about building the team. And I, I'm a team leader and I want to win first and foremost. I've said this multiple times. I want to help bring a championship to Nashville. Uh, and that's what we plan on doing this year. This he was also asked if there was ever an ultimatum from this, from the team, you know, do, do this restructure or get out, or we're going to, you know, we're going to cut you. He said it never got to that point, but it is yet to be seen. And we may never know just what pressures the Titans decided to, um, to put on him. What, what, what leverages did they apply to put, put pressure on him? Or was there any necessary? Maybe it simply was as, as easy as, Hey, if y'all go get a guy like Deandre Hopkins, and demonstrate that you're trying to compete this year, then maybe I'll be more willing to, to change my contract. And then that's what ended up happening. I'm not sure. Um, another thing that he mentioned before we move on to Ryan Tannehill's press conference, this is not necessarily about Bayard, but we asked him this question and he gave us an answer that, that led me to another thought. We asked, what about this team? You know, last year, the Titans defense overall was, was very good and at times very dominant. But the secondary was easily the, the biggest concern, biggest weakness of the defense. It was the heart and soul of the team was, and I would argue probably still is, that defensive front. And so the secondary has to get a lot better from uh, the number of their metrics were in the mid to high 20s in terms of yards allowed and average yards per reception and average yards per target, et cetera, et cetera. They were a well, well below average secondary from a pass defense standpoint. So we asked what has to change or maybe what has changed so far about the, the personnel, the circumstances, the coaching, whatever it may be with this team in its secondary that leads you to think this, this secondary can be much better or will be much better this year. And here was the answer that he gave. I would say um, just having Chris Harris around, our DB coach, um, he's a really good coach. Uh, really like his energy, uh, love the things we're doing as far as on the defensive back. I mean, as far as in the secondary, uh, some different things we're going to do. Uh, brings me a lot of confidence, honestly. Uh, me and Amani talk about it a lot, some things that we're doing. Uh, we see a lot of plays being made on that back end, and uh, we've set lofty goals for ourselves. Um, at the end of the day, as bad as we was last year, we can't do nothing to go up, and we plan on going uh, really, really, uh, really high. I include this clip simply to say, man, man I think Chris Harris is going to be, genuinely, I think that he may be an NFL head coach one day. Like that, that I don't think is beyond the possibility. This is the number one guy associated with the Tennessee Titans that is talked about most often and is brought up unprompted most often by his players and by his fellow coaches. If people need reminding, he was brought over from the Washington Commanders um, at, to be the Titans' defensive back coach. 
and that that was this past spring. And uh, he he's a guy that we were talking a lot about during OTAs as the most vocal, hair on fire, entertaining vibes guy on the Titans coaching staff because during team drills, when the offense faces the defense, he is bringing the energy tenfold. He is bringing enough energy for every coach. He is fired up at all times. He gets under his players. He gets all up in their all up in their business when they're not um, doing doing what they're supposed to. And when they make a play, he is as excited, if not more excited than any of his teammates. And so he, he's a great coach. Obviously, this is something that you can see really day one. Like this guy knows what he's doing. His players buy in. His fellow coaches love him. There's really not anything to dislike. And because people keep talking about him and he's been here for 10 seconds, I really don't think it's crazy to say this guy may end up being a head coach one day. Let's move on to QB1, Ryan Tannehill, who spoke for the first time since uh, training camp started. What did he have to say that you found interesting? Yeah, just a couple of things from him, mostly typical comments from Ryan on the addition of uh, DeAndre Hopkins. One clip that I did want to play was this one where he's talking about just how Hopkins in particular is a unique player in terms of a new quarterback establishing trust in his new wide receiver. DeAndre Hopkins, his track record, his his game lends itself to that. And here's what Ryan, Ryan Tannehill had to say on the topic. I mean, you've seen it over the years. Is, you know, doesn't look like he's open, but he's able to come down with the football time and time again. Uh, just being able to to build that trust here, you know, through the uh, through the training camp, um, you know, see see where I can put the ball, where he can go get it, and uh, you know where he likes that type of thing. So, um, you know, excited to uh, go to work and keep building what we started today. With, With every new receiver on a team, the quarterback has to. Fine, you know, they have to get comfortable with them and get to a point where they can trust them to not make them look bad. You know, you, you want a guy that's going to make you look good, is going to smooth over any minor mistakes you might make, ball placement, velocity, window choice, um, timing decisions. Like, who can, who can make you look the best out there? Who's going to cover up any blemishes in your game? And with DeAndre Hopkins, he's kind of the poster boy for the easiest wide receiver to immediately trust. Because his game since he's come into the NFL has been, as we've talked about, that body control um, possession receiver um, or volume receiver, rather, that doesn't win on separation, doesn't win on speed, doesn't win on uh, acceleration or shiftiness. He wins on his ability to to win contested catches at an absurd rate because of his hands and his body control being off the charts. And that's exactly the kind of guy that you can kind of just chuck it up there out to out, out up there to him. And as Ryan talked about earlier in the press conference, he's one of those players that, you know, it's you're you're throwing it his way and you're pretty trusting uh, of the the fact that it's either going to be caught by him or caught by nobody because he does his best to make that happen. Um, Tannehill was also very complimentary of the Titans new center er, new to the position, Aaron Brewer, and just kind of mentioning this to quash any ideas from folks trying to fix the Titans first six weeks um, uh, on the offensive line. The, the issue that they have with with missing their starting right tackle. There have been people talking about, well, maybe you move Aaron Brewer and put somebody else. At center. That's not happening. Um, Tannehill and and fellow players and coaches have been and continue to talk about Brewer as the guy that is locked in, written in pen to play the center position. Very complimentary of him and how his spring and summer have, have gone, how well he's done in becoming a leader of that group and a leader on the offense. And so, you know, he, I think, 
has for a while been the heir apparent for the Titans at the center position and certainly is still firmly that heir apparent to be the Titans center, they hope, for the foreseeable future. Um, one last thing and one last clip to play from Ryan Tannehill. We asked him about the, the quarterback series on Netflix. Netflix's hit show Quarterback that uh, was starring Patrick Mahomes and Kirk Cousins and Marcus Mariota in season one and kind of took the sports summer by storm there for a minute. We asked him if he'd been approached about season two. Here was his answer. It was one that I don't think any of us were expecting. Not season two. No, not season two. Uh, you know, I had some conversations last year, but um, you know, not season two. Just and we followed up on that. Like, well, hang on, Ryan. You were you going to be on the show last year? And and he his basic answer was that yeah, like that was kind of the plan at first that they were considering it and discussing the details of it. And ultimately it just didn't work out whether that was on Netflix's end or Tannehill's end, or just mutually, it was just not going to work out. Don't know. Don't know the details on that, but I kind of am thinking that they wanted Netflix wanted Tannehill to be their Kirk cousins before they went with Kirk cousins, which for us in Titans media bummer, because that would have made quarterback just red meat content. But I think for the greater good ultimately ended up being a good thing because we got to really get a window into the soul of the, the NFL's unbothered King Kirk cousins and no disrespect to Ryan, who I'm very fond of and is a great guy. Kirk cousins. I, I just, I, I know enough about both players to know the behind the scenes on the day to day life of Kirk cousins is much more interesting and compelling television than Ryan Tannehill. Mr. Cole's cash cash himself. I mean, Cole's cash. You, CKCK. You Kirk cousins, Cole's cash, baby. He, I he mean, you can't, you can't anything better than that. You know, um, no, you really moving can't. on here to the, to the last presser of, of the day, of course, ending with Mike Vrabel, who gave out his off season award winners as he does almost every single year. What were your thoughts about those and anything else that he talked about? Yeah, let's start um, with the, the, not so much a confirmation, but acknowledgement by Vrabel. You know, we talked on Wednesday's show this week about how I was expecting Monday to be next Monday to be the first padded practice of the Titans offseason program or a uh, preseason program. We asked him about that, and he said that he believes Monday will be the first day. Legally, that is the first day they can do it. Whether or not they choose to do it is you know, it's up to the coaches. Sounds like that's what he wants to do, but he, he didn't want to commit to anything yet, so we'll see. I'd imagine that's what ultimately happens. It'll be Monday. If not, it will be you know the practice after, probably. But here's the clip uh, where Mike Vrabel officially announces his vaunted, highly esteemed 2023 offseason award winners on the team. Uh, let's play the final clip, JT. Offensively, Thomas Odekoya uh, made great strides, effort, uh, consistency, and improvement. Put a lot of time in. And, uh, starting out with that international program, and it's been fantastic for us, and he's improved. So he was one of them. Uh, Ryan was one of them. I would say that that belief was, was very, very close. You can only give so many of them, but outstanding effort, improvement from him. The conditioning, the weight room, the field, the package. Uh, and then the last one offensively was Corey Levin. Put a lot of time in and, and did a nice job defensively. Jaden Peavy, a young player that uh, noticeably different. And uh, it was good to see that carry over to the conditioning test and today, uh, what he did in the spring. Uh, Dr. Gibby, and then Arden Key. Now, people are quick to point out, and fairly so, that historically, 
uh, being deemed one of Mike Vrabel's offseason winners is not a great indication of what your actual season looks like. Um, but that being said, I, I think that these are all not that surprising, further reinforcing just how much Mike Vrabel is proud of and impressed by Malik Willis's improvement from the end of last year to this offseason. Guys like Thomas Otakoya is not a shocking one, considering he came in and um, has made significant strides with them in the international program. Jaden Peavy is probably the one that I'm most intrigued to keep my eye on because I think that he is squarely in that potential classic Titans defensive lineman comes out of nowhere breakout um, season. I think that he absolutely could end the season with like six sacks, five and a half sacks. And was like, whoa, where did Jaden Peavy come from? He, he, I'm not saying he will, but I think that he is in that mold and prepared to have a big upcoming season. And I'm not shocked that they are high on him. And uh, that's that's pretty much pretty much wraps up my thoughts from training camp yesterday. Again, not a ton of detail simply because it's very OTA ish without the pads on. And I'm kind of saving that in-depth analysis for you all for next week when hopefully we get to see some pads popping finally. So make sure to tune back in for some more of that. Um, let's wrap up the show today with some Titans news, JT, and then we'll get out of here. What do you say? Yeah, let's dive into some Titans news. And the first thing that we have to talk about is DeAndre Hopkins contract info. We had a lot more in-depth intro or info about his contract come out. And we'll just lay that out here for you. You all real quick. DeAndre Hopkins contract is a two year, $25.5 million contract with three void years tacked on there. He has 10.98 million fully guaranteed with a 9.815 signing million dollar signing bonus. His 2023 cap hit for this season comes in at 3.668 million. His cap hit for next season, 2024 at 15.963 million. And if he is cut by the fifth day of the league year in 2024, it will have 7.852 dead million dollars in dead money for the signing, and it will save the Titans $8.111 million in cap savings. Yeah, so to take that Chinese and put it in English for most folks, it's essentially a one-year, 11-ish million dollar deal for the Titans with a team option for 2024 since none of his 2024 salary is guaranteed. So there's really not much downside or financial risk or concern here for the team beyond that one-year, $11 million contract, which is really impressive, a fantastic deal for the Titans. Now that we know the nitty-gritty of these details, uh, the, the contract details, that is, I think that they kind of smashed it. And if DeAndre Hopkins is 75% of what we think that he can be, this will be well worth the contract. Yeah. Moving on here to some of those throwback dates after the Titans finally revealed their throwback jerseys last we got our Sunday. wish, baby. Yes. We, we got one of our wishes here and the Titans will be wearing their throwbacks uh, on October 29th in the game against the Atlanta Falcons. Mm -hmm. And then they will be also wearing them on December 17th at their home game versus the Houston Texans. Oh, 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 how much fun this is going to be. I cannot wait for December 17th when all Titans fans should, they should rush to Home Depot and Walmart right now. Collect every cup and bucket and pot and pan that you can find 
to collect to, to spare us from the oncoming impending flood of deliciously salty Houstonian tears that will be shed on December 17th. The cope is going to the copium is going to be rich. It's going to be flavorful. It's going to be plentiful. I cannot wait. Hilarious trolling. Um, some might say cruel. I would say um, not, you know, Actually, no, I would say cruel, actually. I just think it's funny. Um, so so uh, good for them, and I'm glad that they pulled the trigger on what everybody wanted to see, uh, the Titans wearing their Houston Oilers throwbacks against the Houston Texans. Yeah, moving on here, I'm going to let you kind of, I'm going to kind of break this one down, but then I'll let you go into depth because okay. you are a man who who really knows how to sift through the gibberish of, of a lot of personalities in in the in the NFL world and one of them in particular is the crazy uncle Jim Ursay up in yeah, up luckily, in luckily for you all I, I do speak crazy uncle Jim I, I'm you do so so we uncle have Jim, our translator so. here today mm -hmm. um so he came out today and 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 tweeted this he he got his hands uh, from his caretaker he took the phone and he ran away and yeah, got yeah. the opportunity to tweet this real quick uh -huh. today saying the NFL running back situation we have negotiated a CBA that took years of effort and hard work and compromise in good faith by both sides to say now that a specific player category wants another negotiation after the fact is inappropriate some agents are selling bad faith your reaction to this, Easton. Fellas, Crazy Uncle Jim is so much fun. Okay, never lose sight of that. He, boy, is he fun. And for a lot of Colts fans, the things that he does, the access that he grants them, super fun. But also never lose sight of the fact that he is also crazy. It's in the name. It's right there. Crazy Uncle Jim. He earns every bit of that crazy title every, I don't know, once or twice a quarter, pretty much. And this was certainly one of those instances. Having a meddling owner like this, having a Jerry Jones or a, a Jim Ursay is a lot of fun for a lot of fans and often means some cool access via the media and some fun sound bites and the, you know, the, the familial camaraderie of your owner is, you know, he's bought in, he's in it. He's a part of the team. He's around. We feel like we know the guy. Awesome. But the bill always comes due with these, these clowns, with these, with these, uh, attention whores, if I'm being frank, like that, that is what they are. And because of that, they're going to say and do things that they really shouldn't do. Like this, I had one person respond. I think it was Dr. Lipschitz, a, a regular commenter on our and listener of the show, reply to me making fun of, of this decision by him to tweet this, this insane decision, basically saying, like, was, where's he wrong? And that's not the point because he's not really wrong, right? Like, that's that's not the issue here. The issue is that he's wrong to say anything about it on Twitter, like let alone firing it off on social media. Um, it'd be one thing if he'd said it in the press, which already would not have been good, but to fire off that tweet, horrible decision. It accomplishes absolutely nothing. And it drives a stake into the team's relationship with their biggest star, Jonathan Taylor, who is on going into his final year of his current contract of his rookie contract. And so something can be factually correct. And incredibly stupid to say publicly 
unprompted. This was, again, this is not even a question that was asked of him. He just, it was on his mind. And so he decided to fire that take from the hip, just bang. And it, instead of hitting the target, it, 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 it hit the water. It hit the, one of the legs to the water tower. And now it's about to come crashing down and flood the town. Like that's, that is what crazy uncle Jim has done here. And it's caused this firestorm on Twitter, not just from fans and media being like, what are you doing? But uh, Jonathan Taylor's agent didn't take kindly to these words and has been very vocal on Twitter through his replies and quote tweeting about he and presumably Jonathan Taylor's um, disliking of this sentiment, disliking of the way that that their owner is handling it. Um, Rap Sheet at one point tweeted a headline about what Ursay said, saying, I hope this relationship can be fixed between Ursay and the Colts and Jonathan Taylor and Jonathan Taylor's agent. And Jonathan Taylor's agent quote tweeted that Ian Rappaport tweet saying, I doubt it. That was today on Thursday. So Colts fans, enjoy your last year with Jonathan Taylor because it, it, it seems like your your owner may have done something here at the beginning, at the very beginning of the 2023 season for absolutely no reason. Just just saying things with no filter that may have cost you your relationship with your biggest star. Yeah, moving on here, we're, we're not done with, with the GMs and the, the coaches and whatnot, just kind of airing it all out today. We had another uh, NFL head coach today, kind of uh, kind of give out his grievances, maybe some Kinda. frustrations. He buried and... this dude. He dug a coach, a shallow coach grave and, and threw his mangled corpse in there and then covered it up. Of course, what happened. Who, who we are talking about is Sean Payton burying Nathaniel Hackett for the job that he did last season um, in Denver. And in an incredibly candid comments from the Broncos head coach, Sean Payton, to Jarrett Bell from The Athletic, he said, everything I heard about last season, we're doing the opposite. So <laughs> real, real quick, let's yeah. let's break down exactly what happened last okay. year. And so what, what Sean Payton said is that he said, there's so much dirt around that. There's 20 dirty hands for what was allowed, tolerated in the freaking training rooms, the meeting rooms, the offense. I don't know Hackett. A lot of people had dirt on their hands. It wasn't just Russell, as he's talking about Russell Wilson. Right. He didn't just flip. He still has it. This BS that he hit a wall shoot, they couldn't even get a play in. They were 29th in the league in pre-snap penalties on both sides of the ball. He goes on to say, it doesn't happen often where an NFL team or organization gets in Paris, Peyton said. And that happened here. Part of it was their own fault relative to spending so much time trying to win the offseason. The PR, the pomp and circumstance, marching people around and all this stuff. We're not doing any of that. He ended his comments saying it might have been one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. That's how bad it was. Oh. Uh... Uh, that's a tough scene. That's what we call. That's what we call a tough scene, kids. That is the toughest scene. I I can't remember anybody in sports burying their contemporary like this, or one you know one of their contemporaries like this. Um, so clearly Sean Payton, no holds barred, must have a very strong opinion on what happened. I don't think he would just say this to be you know exagger being exaggerated or you know trying to get a headline. Like he clearly very turned off by what he has heard went on in and around the Denver Broncos team last year and is apparently taking all of those things. And it's indicting when the new guy comes in and says, all right, what'd y'all used to do? 
all right, just whatever you used to do, do the opposite in all circumstances. It's not great. And uh, now just a reminder for everybody that's so hyped about the Jets and Aaron Rodgers this year. And ooh, look at that roster. And yes, ooh, look at that roster indeed. But ooh, look at that coaching staff. And ooh, look at that Nate Hackett, the offensive coordinator. Good luck. Can, can we luck. take that one step further? Nate Hackett sure. and then right his right-hand man on that Jets offense this year, Mr. Ooh. Todd Downing. Oh, the, the Titans Todd Downing? That guy? Yes, the, the, oh, ti- the oh, Todd oh. And Downing. And Keith Carter? Keith Carter, yes, former and Titans Keith Carter on the on the offensive coach? line. Yeah, um, I'm sure it's going to go great. I don't see any way they can go poorly. I don't no, see any way they can go you, poorly. you know, hard knocks coming in, having them play the Hall of Fame game, Hall of Fame game, mm-hmm. uh, trying to bring in Dalvin Cook to maybe make a a super team not seen since the 0809 Philadelphia and then Eagles. A brutal first stretch of their season. Yes, um, you know it's not it's not looking you, you know nothing can go wrong you know it, it's murphy's law here you know um <laughs> no, yeah everything that can go wrong will go wrong because they um, they start out with the the browns and the panthers and the oh excuse me i'm like what no th- those are preseason games they start out with the giants the bills the cowboys um the chiefs the patriots the broncos the eagles the giants again the chargers the first half of their schedule is so brutal. They, they, they could be, really they could, teams. they could very well be four and six, 10 games into the season. Uh, I think they'd kind of be happy with that. I mean, like they play the giants twice. If they split that, are they going to beat the bills? You know, are, the Cowboys will be a tough one. The Patriots is winnable. They're not going to beat the chiefs. You'd imagine the Broncos by, you know, October 8th. We're not sure what they'll look like, but probably a winnable game. Like, I only see three, maybe four winnable games at the beginning of their schedule. Anything can happen, and maybe this team lives up to its potential, but with that coaching staff, I'm not holding my breath. One more thing on Sean Payton, and just kind of a question for you. How many uh, how many espresso martinis deep do you think Sean Payton was to uh, to, to be to be slinging it around like this? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that I think that he's no lightweight based on what we saw in Indianapolis when everywhere that we went, the party scene – Sean Payton was already there and at times running the show. So five, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. He may, he strikes me as, he, as a guy that like, can knock down a four pack. He's and kind of a, you couldn't tell the difference. He, he runs the cool kids club and he's telling he Nathaniel Hackett, you can't come in. You can't come no, in. He's, you, you he's are saying, not, you are not don't cool. even look in my direction. I don't want to hear your name. I want to see your face. Yeah. Let's move on to kind of a training camp injury. Hell that we are already seeing only about, four okay. days in into into the training camp kind of portion of the offseason here um with some big names going down we have Kadarius tony who i mean not shocking it's, it's not shocking but he did he did go down on a special teams drill with a knee injury that also did require surgery and is now kind of uncertain if he will start the season um, yeah. as, as i've kind of told you and kind of talked about on my fantasy football show I am targeting Kadarius Tony. Maybe the earliest I would consider drafting him is the waiver wire post week one. I think that's where I'm currently currently sitting on Kadarius Tony. Yeah, I'm I'm busting out my ten foot pole for him, and uh, it's actually an I got it's a brand new ten foot pole. It's it's an adjustable one that I can extend to twenty feet. And for him, I'm thinking about I'm, I'm going to max that one out. I don't I don't think I'm going to touch him. There, you know, I, I don't want to touch him with a twenty foot pole, let alone a ten foot pole. Uh, and then a couple other guys who we saw actually just today, uh, as we're recording this, go mm-hmm. go down with injury. Garrett Wilson had an angle, ankle injury, which he hobbled off the field. 
Um, not as Robert Sala put it, not super serious. They're not very concerned with that, but something to monitor. Jalen Ramsey had to be carted off the field in Miami with a knee injury. And then Joe Burrow, who went down with a scary looking calf injury on a non-contact play today. Um, Zach Taylor currently coming out and saying it's a calf issue. If it's a calf strain or something like that, Mm -hmm. not sure, but something to do with his calf. So certainly scary stuff in both Miami and Cincinnati. Yeah. First of all, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Like maybe this is recency bias. Totally could be, but I'm pretty confident in saying I, I can't remember the last time this many high profile injuries came down the news, the news ticker in the first week, like many of them, the first day or two of training camp. When, when has that ever happened? It's been off the charts this season. We've already got four or five or six big name guys. I don't even think we mentioned everybody that I've, I've heard already about you know, I'm tweaking something or, or getting some sort of injury where they had to hobble off or be carted off. Joe Burrows was really concerning looking. You can see the video of it happening at training camp on social media today. And it was a non-contact. He was already wearing a sleeve on that calf. There was some current concern at first that it was an Achilles. You know, obviously, you know, that's the worst case scenario with an injury in that area. But it sounds like he's going to ultimately be OK. I will say this. You know, he told reporters yesterday, apparently, that he was looking forward to ex- an extended preseason um, for the first time really in his NFL career. Because in 2020, it was the COVID preseason in his first year. In 2021, he was returning from the ACL injuries. So we took three snaps in the preseason. Last year, his appendix ruptured randomly in practice, and so that he could have no action then. And then this year, it felt like he was healthy and going into a preseason where he can actually get some reps in, and now he's got this calf strain that we don't know what what that's going to do to impact his ability to be out there, but he can't buy a healthy preseason. Yeah, moving on, one final uh, tidbit today with some Corey Davis hindsight today. Mm. Uh, There was a tweet earlier today from Seth Walder that said, had the Jets cut Corey Davis and signed DeAndre Hopkins to the same deal he got in Tennessee, it would have cost them just $1.5 million more in 2023 cash with no 2024 guarantees either way. Your mm. thoughts on this? Well, it's just, I, I w- you know, you wish the Jets front office said, listened to all the desperate Titans fans back in the spring who were clamoring for a Corey Davis reunion. If only they had listened, because now in hindsight, it looks like the Titans ended up getting DeAndre Hopkins for basically what the Jets are playing Corey Davis or paying Corey Davis um, to play for. And so that is uh, pretty good, I think, for the Titans and not so good for the Jets. But yeah, just felt like throwing that little oddity out there as a just a little further. This is a, today was a Jets hate show, apparently. Sorry, Jets. I mean, it's kind of I mean, it's not a hate show. We're just calling out. The, these the are the things. facts. These, these are, are these the are facts. these are cold, hard facts that we're throwing yep. out here. Um, so these facts bet, do bet not their, bet their win totals up. and futures appropriately, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you, JT. That was the Titans news. And that is our show today. A little bit long, but we appreciate those of you who tuned in with us live or caught the podcast after the fact. Thank you so much for listening. Excited to continue to cover training camp over the next couple of weeks, and then we get into the regular season. Um, just a couple of things before you go. Make sure to follow us on our social medias, on Twitter primarily, but also on Instagram and on TikTok, where we'll be ramping up content over the coming days and weeks. Make sure to follow us there on all three platforms, at Hot Read Pod. Very easy to find us. And on Twitter, that's where you're going to, um, if you follow that account, find all of our programming notes and know when shows are going up and when we're going live and when you can tune in with us um, for things like that. So make sure to follow us on Twitter at Hot Read Pod. 
Thank you so much for doing that. Also, we're partnering with Zen Sportsbook now, which is super exciting. The newest sportsbook in the state of Tennessee. If you sign up for Zen Sports um, via their app on the Apple uh, Apple not podcast, Apple app store or the Google play store or the Android app store, wherever you get your apps, you can get the Zen sports app. And when you sign up there, use our code hot pod, H O T P O D plug hot pod into that sign up referral code box. When you sign up, you, you you'll know when you see it, you will get a 5% cash back welcome bonus on Zen Sportsbook When you sign up with that code hot pod and you earn 3% cash back in your pocket um, via the rewards on all of your betting volume after that first 15 days where you get 5%. So forever you're getting at least 3% cash back on all your betting win or lose that is money back in your pocket kind of like airline miles like just you getting you're getting rewarded for using the service unlike with other sports books where you're having to win certain things um to to get that reward with zen sports book they reward you just for participating so go and do that and get some money back in your pocket we will be back on the Hot Read Podcast first thing Monday morning with an episode talking about the weekend that was in Titans training camp practice, potentially having a guest since I won't be there in attendance myself, somebody that was there. Um, I've got some folks in mind that I might hit up and uh, get them to come and give their perspective on Monday. So it'll be a great show. And we'll be previewing the first week of Titans padded practice. So exciting. Uh, can't wait for that show. Until then. For producer JT, I'm your host, Easton Freeze. This has been the Hot Read Podcast. We'll talk to you Monday. Have a great weekend.